This episode of Hate Wrestling is brought to you by our pal Jason Terranova, who requested it over on our Patreon page. If you want to support Hate Wrestling and get access to exclusive audio goodies, including 32. That's right, as of now, in August 2017, there are 32 bonus episodes available if you become our backer and support the show over at patreon.com forward slash Wrestling. It's really exciting now that we're into year three officially. Joe and I have reviewed every single pay-per-view of event from WWE since SummerSlam 2015 as well as that other bonus goodies such as our Southpaw Regional Wrestling Retrospective, NXT TakeOver reviews, etc. So, you like the show? You want to help out Kevin and Joe, your old pals? You can do so. Head over to patreon.com slash wrestling, become a backer, get access to all of our audio goodies and all the ones that are coming out in the future. But for now, enjoy this episode, How To Jobbers. friends and welcome to the episode of How To Wrestling, the world's first wrestling podcast detailing how to wrestling, how to get into wrestling, how to understand wrestling, and goodness knows maybe even how to enjoy wrestling. However, once again, I'm Cowboy Kevin Mann, riding alongside my stable mate as always, Joe Graham. Howdy hi. Wow, so are you embracing the uh, the root and tootin' aspects of... Uh, of, of my branding. I feel there's a lot of pressure now every episode for me to come up with some new catchy slogan for the masses to to emulate as they see me passing on the streets they're like it's Joe. She says hello. <laughs> or, I can't believe you invented howdy. that word like hello it's really know, taken off. But now I feel like every time I have to think of something else even wittier like some other variant of of Hello. I mean, just the fact that you haven't done a Lionel Richie hello yet, hello. 30 so episodes in. Oh, it's too late now. You've lost your chance. That's long well and gone. I'm sure there's plenty. You know what? I was in a similar situation with the Attitude podcast where I was like, oh, here's a funny thing I'll do a goof about. And then I realised that I, I didn't have enough creativity left in me to keep doing the joke. Mm. People just message them to me now. I've got a database. So I'm just going to go on Fiverr and pay someone funnier and cleverer than me to come up with some better ones. That sounds like a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. How do you think podcasts get made, people? <laughs> this whole podcast is just paid for by some guy on, on Fiverr. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to get my Fiverr at the end of this. Like, it's going to be so worth this. Oh boy, pin me, pay me. This episode is all about wrestling's losers, wrestling's journeymen, the ham and eggers of sports entertainment. This episode was requested by Jason Terranova. Joe, today we're talking about jobbers. 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 Now, is that a word or a phrase that you had heard before? If you're a jobber, what does that usually mean for what you think? What, you mean like before I knew anything about wrestling? I mean, just generally now, if you've watched wrestling for, for two years or so or thereabouts, have you heard that word used much? Do you know what it means? <laughs> no, I've no idea, Kevin. Tell No, I do. I know what a jobber is. A jobber is a opponent in a wrestling match who loses. Okay. And normally if they're a jobber, that's like the whole point of them wrestling in general is they just lose again and again and again. <laughs> 
<laughs> and it's like kind of the reason they exist is to put over bigger names okay, and make so them we're, look strong. And when we're saying putting over, it means like they're to making them win. look good. Cool. Yeah. So in a way, a jobber is there to kind of make the people we would normally be talking about in this show yeah. make them look a hell of a lot better. And jobber also can be used as a verb. As in, you're jobbing tonight, Joe Graham. You're jobbing, okay. So if you're jobbing, if you're jobbing Joe, do you know yeah. what that means? <gasps> I should be a jobber. Jobber Joe. Jobber Joe. Joe the job. <laughs> I've changed my mind. I don't like it. it. Sounds weird. Job Graham. Job Anna. I mean, it could all work. But if 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 I say you're jobbing tonight, do you know what that means? It means I'm I'm losing. Yeah, you're scheduled to lose. Yeah. Also as well, I mean, I love so the, the weird carny language of wrestling that all these words have so many different forms. You can be a jobber, which means that you will usually be jobbing, which entails that tonight you will be doing the job. That's confusing. So if you're, if it is your job to do the job, you're a jobber, which means you will be jobbing. I feel like I'm having a conversation with Hulk Hogan. <laughs> have you heard anyone like call wrestlers like jobbers since you've been watching wrestling? Yes, I mean, I've heard you call some wrestlers jobbers. Who have I called a jobber? I'm about to do this whole thing about, it's really disrespectful when people call wrestlers jobbers when they're not, and I've been doing this. No, I don't think you do it in that way. More like if we're watching, like, NXT or something, especially in the earlier days of me watching wrestling, Mm. and I'd be like, who's that guy? Why doesn't he have any music at the beginning? How come he's just in the ring already? And you'd be like, well, Joe... He's a jobber, which means he's going to lose, like, immediately. So if we were to maybe drop a short list of things that we can identify a jobber, you mentioned one there, no entrance music. Yeah, no entrance music. And, and that's not to say that they, like, come out to silence. Because some wrestlers have, Dudley Boys and ECW, we said before, they used to come out to silence. Mm, but that's not more that. of a, not that, no. They just are there already. They don't get the screen time. They haven't earned it yet. They're not allowed, they don't have USB stick privileges to bring mm. their music in <laughs> to put on the thumb drive. Like, you know, you're not no. allowed. Other um, telltale signs of being a jobber? They lose. <laughs> they lose. Oh, another one. Announces currently in the ring. So oh, they're yeah. already there. They've like snuck them in. <laughs> um, I don't know if this is actually one, but it's one I always think of, which is like boring, like ring attire. Yes. Like quite, Create a wrestler. Yeah, you can usually see a lot of the jobbers who will be brought in. Like, if you're someone who's just brought in just solely to be a warm body to lose. Yeah. And then, by and large, these guys are usually got you know, local wrestlers or indie wrestlers or whatever. And they're brought in to, to lose a bit. And they will have usually ring attire or ring gear that is quite different to the, the rest of the roster. It's usually a little bit more bush league or yeah. a little cheaper doesn't have the uh, WWE insignias all over it like <laughs> no they don't have their own shirt which they're wearing with uh, no trousers yeah. on underneath another thing about jobbers they get thrown around a lot mm. like it's always really big moves that happen like they're flung out of the ring or they're like kicked into space or <laughs> like I don't know Braun Strowman throws them off a mountain Just tears them in half like yeah grabs them like, <laughs> like that you know? <laughs> That's interesting because, I mean, like, jobbers have had a really historic role. And I think it's fortunate that we're talking about it now because, you know, you and I watched NXT quite a bit over the last few years and they use jobbers quite a bit. And a lot of guys who are training to become full-time wrestlers start off their life as a jobber, like, you know, just putting people over, losing. Like, when we were watching stuff for Sami Zayn, 
our last episode and we were flicking through an, an old episode of NXT and who did we fucking see with an oddly much fuller head of hair yeah uh, it was old Baron Corbin as a jobber like hey guys come on let's go he was looking well he was he looked less angry it's before he had Twitter I guess like, yeah. you know. <laughs> oh another thing about jobbers mm. quite often they will fight big opponents yes like Nia Jax mm. or Braun Strowman mm. or like like big big wrestlers that can proper like lob them places and in a way if you want to make someone look bigger yeah a really great way of doing it is to put in someone smaller with them yeah. like so it's kind of we've seen jobbers in the last couple of years used here and there on NXT it's mainly for people who are learning in the performance center just to get them some time on TV like expose them get them a bit of experience and obviously we've seen a bit of it in the last year with Braun Strowman and Nia Jax just people brought in to make monsters look more like monsters but if we went in our time machine as we often do on a Sunday evening <laughs> if we went into our time machine go back to the 80s like the heyday of Hulk Hogan and whatnot like if I watched a two-hour wrestling show if we sat down to watch you know superstars of wrestling you wouldn't see like Roddy Piper versus Jake Roberts and then next it's Macho Man Randy Savage versus the Ultimate Warrior and then Demolition will take on the Rockers. You're not going to see the big names. It was all Hulk Hogan versus local opponent. Macho Man Randy Savage versus local opponent. Like all these jobbers. Mm. And the idea was is that the superstars, like the WWF superstars, they destroy these normal wrestlers that you would see in other shows and then it was only when they came live to to st louis or to your hometown wherever it is that's when you got to see hulk hogan versus roddy piper or like you got to see the teams collide or the big superstars collide or on pay-per-view at wrestlemania or royal rumble you get to finally see the big name wrestlers go against each other is that because they had fewer wrestlers back in the day or because they were a bit maybe more laid back about their workloads a little bit of both i mean a lot of it was like in terms of prestige and stuff if you know that you know hulk hogan's our guy and we want to have a match we want him to beat the shit out of someone but i don't want him to beat the shit out of some guy who could maybe we could get a pay-per-view out of a few you know months down the line if we build him up so they would tend to not have the top guys beat the, the mid-level guys like you see now all the time on TV like you'll see Roman Reigns beat like an intercontinental like Roman Reigns versus The Miz is something you would see on Raw it is more often than not they'll be taking on like the intercontinental champion yeah. or someone who has previously held the belt yeah rather than mid-carders without that title yeah so I mean now it's usually kind of guys fighting guys maybe they fought before or guys lower down the card but those guys who are losing are then going to go on and have to feud with someone else but back in the day it's just they were quite protective i guess about a lot of the the superstars like you know you can't just have people losing left and right and as well i think a lot of the guys maybe like it was just the way it was back then like if you were someone who signed to a big contract with wwf it's assumed that you're not going to be losing to loads of guys all the time. You would be enhanced and made to look better by beating up these other jobbers. I like that, I think. Mm. I think, I mean, maybe not used quite that much, but I, I do like aspects of that because 
these days in wrestling, you do get a lot of repeat matches. It's yes. Like, oh, here we go. He's not quite won the title yet. We'll have another four matches of this before we get to the pay-per-view. We'll have another match, and that's where they'll find like it. Like Dean Ambrose and the Mazes one from yeah. the last year that you had a lot of grumblings about on our pay-per-view reviews on Patreon. Could you like, what was it about? Say their few that you didn't enjoy. Like well, it's Dean just and repetitive. Miz. It's like it's the same thing that happens over and over again. You get a bit bored of it. I think if they had actually added some jobbers or like lower mid-carders mm. into the mix it would have broken it all up a bit and told the better story yeah and then when you finally see the two guys mm. go head to head it means a little bit more unfortunately what would used to happen i mean i don't want to just use one little brush and go jobbers are guys who lose because obviously there's a bit of a, a spectrum there there are your kind of local people who are just brought in you come in for the night you'll get beat up here's your 50 dollars off you go and if we're impressed by what you've done Maybe we'll call you and give you a tryout or something like that. There are guys who are brought in solely as like a tryout, and it will be like a dark match usually at the very, very start. I think you saw a very young John Cena. Someone yeah. tweeted in. Yeah! Oh my god, that was amazing. So, what was John Cena's old name when he was a, a an enhancement performer? The prototype. <laughs> Seriously, find this on YouTube, listeners, because young John Cena as the prototype is a sight to behold. He's got like the worst hair, and it suits him so much. It's amazing. You notice he's got colourful tights and colourful boots. Yeah, bright purple. He looks like a king. Yeah, he uh, when he first started, he was like, I want to become a wrestler. So he bought literally like 30 pairs of tights and 30 boots. Like they all matched. Because he was an idiot. Oh, <laughs> he didn't know. He needed a William Regal or some father figure to come in and teach him how to do that. I bet he didn't think that the next 25 years of his career would be spent entirely in jorts. <laughs> They're much comfier, I guess. <laughs> right, what I will say as well, though, because we talked about you know, we've got our enhancement guys like that. We've got our kind of guys who are maybe getting a bit of a tryout. You do have as well people who make their kind of career out of being a jobber. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. We do have here, from recent WWE lawsuit that was filed against them, we do have now a legal definition of a jobber as WWE perceives. legal As definition. in, this was used in legal documents by WWE's attorneys to establish what a jobber was. Wow, why did they need to do such a thing? It's because they had a number of people who were suing them for post-concussion trauma and... What? You know, basically the things that people complain about wrestling, like no health insurance, they wrestled with injuries, they didn't have retirements, 401ks, etc, etc. So WWE, in their defense, were like, these weren't actually WWE wrestlers, a lot of them. They but were... like, even WWE wrestlers don't get pensions and... Yeah, I know, that's that the thing about malarkey. it. But no one who's currently employed with WWE is going to try and sue them, I guess. So this is True. like a ragtag bunch of disgruntled ex-employees... And as WWE claimed, jobbers. And then the court were like, what's a jobber? So WWE helpfully said, it is a temporary wrestler used on an ad-needed basis, essentially as a prop. <laughs> on an as-needed basis? Yeah. A prop? A prop. Ooh! I don't know if I like that as a... As a <laughs> you're things, you're not people. You have the same worth as a steel chair. I just... I That makes me a bit ooky hearing them refer to them as that, because... Back in the day, if you can imagine, back in the old, before everyone had Let's Play channels, Joe, back in the old cocaine and steroids days of wrestling and late night partying and guys taking themselves very seriously and, you know, everyone's super macho, there were a couple of really horrible instances of wrestlers, like, taking advantage of jobbers. 
What? Because it's just a jobber. Like, you can come in, we can beat the shit out of them, we'll look good. It doesn't matter if they're safe or not, because they're some fucking jobber. They give them 50 bucks, they're on TV, who, who, what do you care? The Steiner brothers, for instance, they used to kill jobbers. Like, they would fucking decimate them. Well, like, actually hurt them for real? I would say that they were more concerned with their stuff looking good than the well-being of their opponents. That's horrible. Because mm. if you haven't got, like, a regular income anyway in wrestling, you just do a couple of matches and they're just very unpleasant and you're left in a lot of pain. Like Mick Foley in his book wrote about when he was a job guy and he took him and some random dudes and it was like, he'd only been wrestling for like a month or two at the time. He was only 20 years old. He was put against the British Bulldogs and they were literally like, they killed him. Like, And they took his lack of experience as being like an insult so they were even harder on him. Like teach oh, him a lesson type God. of thing. So it's a bit carny. It's a bit like fucking, oh, protect the business, beat up the outsiders. But So is that why, I mean, I get, so back in the day, yeah. is that why they would have mistreated them so badly is because they were on the outskirts of the industry. So therefore it was more important that they protect the business? For some for I mean it's gonna be different things for different wrestlers. For some wrestlers it's protect the business at all costs. I'm guessing for others it could be like you've not paid your dues, yeah. you're not And for other wrestlers it could simply be I wanna make my shit look good, I'm gonna beat you up and I'm pretty sure in a lot of cases like the Steiners that's probably it. That's horrible. I mean there's been really horrible cases as well of like jobbers being brought in and like there are guys whose job is isn't WWE to be essentially like a jobber wrangler. Like they call up the local schools and like can you give me 10 guys I need to use for tapings we'll bring them in in a bus they'll all get beaten up and then they all go home. <laughs> but there's no like like back in the day there was no like vetting like how much experience have you got? Can you you wouldn't get a chance to talk about your matches with these people. It's just go out there and let the Bulldogs or the Steiners or whoever beat you up. And in a few cases, that led to some really, really scary scenarios. You know Triple H? Yes, I know Triple H. <laughs> you know Triple H's finisher is the pedigree. Uh, yes. I do have toys to hand just in case, folks, for if I ever need to explain these so things. So the pedigree is the one where he gets them like, upside down and like drops them, right? Yeah, so he, he gets them with their faces towards the mat and they go down flat as a pancake and they smash onto the ground like that. Okay. Triple H, when he was first starting off and getting over his move, the pedigree, on Raw, they were like, I'll oh, we'll put some jobbers against him. And like the jobber that Triple H took on didn't know what the pedigree was. So instead of falling flat like so, he decided to go straight up like this. So and he's upside down at this point, landing on his head. Right on his head and neck, and Triple H drove him right into the mat. Was like, he okay? No, he was very hurt. Oh my god. Because like, I... This is horrible. I assumed that being a jobber was quite an easy job. Because, <laughs> oh no! Because all you have to do is like get no. thrown around, and if you know how to land safely, then surely the rest is like you're like I I assumed that you didn't have to be even a particularly good wrestler because you're relying on the other person to yeah. kind of do all the work. I mean, you could. I mean, a lot of jobbers were like that, and some of the more less experienced ones. I mean, a good jobber should be able to bump around and make your stuff look even better, and there's but an like, art form to that. Then they should be booking good jobbers. Yeah, well, I mean, there was a big incident that happened. It was around 87, I think it was. I hate to bring them up because you've read some horrible stuff about them this week, so your audience going to make oh, it seem worse. God. The Rockers uh-huh. took on a pair of jobbers. Uh, one with the name was Chuck Austin. And the finishing move that they're meant to take is called the Rocker Dropper. And Chuck Austin said in interviews afterwards, he had been given no preparation as to how to do this move. He had one month of experience under his belt. Like he literally had just started a wrestling training with his brother. And he went into the ring, he got beat up. He was not taking the moves particularly well. They decided to end the match. Let's do the Rocker Dropper. Didn't do it correctly. He just whispered into his ear, put your arm over my leg and take it like this. And... 
He didn't know what the fuck the move was. Landed in a way, he immediately broke his neck. <gasps> broke several vertebrae in the neck. And oh you can see in the video, God. he's like completely, he's oh. dead weight. And Marty Jannetty goes over and looks down at him. And instead of just pinning him and ending it, he pulls him <gasps> over, no. tags in Shawn Michaels, who then does a top rope splash. Then, one, two, three, the match is over. He lay in the ring for 20 minutes before any medical personnel came. Because in 1987, and where they were, it was a wrestling show. You didn't need to have a ringside doctor. Oh my god. The silver lining of that horrible story is that he sued them successfully. $27 million. And WWE got into the habit then of, okay, don't just get any old geeks. Try and get people who are experienced. And maybe have some ringside medical assistance. And just maybe, like, have them fuck... Like, if you're going to do move... Like, if it's one thing, if you're going to come in, I'm going to, like, I'm going to do, like, a scoop slam and a big elbow, brother. Like, I could probably job to Hulk Hogan if I went off there now. Because I know how to fall over. Mm. And I can have him do his leg drop on me. But if you're going in there doing, like, the rocker dropper, what's that? It's my new move. Like, what? Yeah. <laughs> That's so stressful. Oh, my God. And you're hardly in a position as well. If you're a jobber, you have no power or authority. Oh, yeah. You're not in any place to be like, no, I'm not doing that. Fuck off. Like, the jobbers would usually dress separately from the rest of the guys. They can get to chat with the guys. They can get to chat with the, the agents or the producers. There would be a guy whose job it was to be, like, the jobber kind of liaison. And that was pretty what? much it. So, yeah. And I mean, I, I wish I could say that, oh, the Chuck Austin thing happened and we all learned a lesson and nothing like this ever happened again. But, like, I remember, like, as recent as 2001, like, there was a guy called Perry Saturn uh, who was a very good wrestler, but he was lower down the card, had substance abuse problems, to put it mildly. He's put in the ring against a jobber. He became convinced after two moves that the jobber was trying to hurt him and was working unsafe. Oh, and then oh proceeded God. to beat the shit out of him. Like, he just fucking killed him. He slammed him against the stairs, kicked him as hard as he could in the back. And then Perry Saturn ended up getting in a lot of trouble because of that. And they had to give the guy a fair bit of money to pay him off. But I think the thing I'm trying to get across here is that the jobbering lifestyle is not a glamorous one, Joe. It is at the bottom of the barrel, usually. And there's been so many cases of guys been mistreated. Um, <gasps> yeah. <laughs> Horrible! I had no idea. Oh my god! So yeah, it's a lot of sad stories, I guess, out there. I mean, Chuck Austin's still in a wheelchair. You know? Here's me thinking this episode was going to be a fun one about all the silly gimmicks that jobbers have had over the years. Like, <laughs> no, this man is in a wheelchair for the rest of his life. No, I've literally gleaned all the fun bits <laughs> off that, and I'm saving that for our live show, and we'll be talking about that a little bit later on. But there were a couple of guys that the WWE would use uh, throughout the late 80s who were really solid wrestlers, like very, very good wrestlers, who maybe didn't have the X Factor and couldn't become like a Hulk Hogan and fill the stadium. There's a great term which I've heard used recently. A guy called Aaron Anderson said, don't call wrestlers like this jobbers. It's not what they are. Jobbers is an offensive term for a lot of wrestlers, you see. They're carpenters, not jobbers. The carpenters. Okay. Because a carpenter can't draw a house and bring loads of people into it, but a carpenter can design and build a house and make sure it's got good foundations. So guys like uh, SD Jones and Iron Mike Sharp are guys who are really good wrestlers, like really good technical wrestlers, but they were used solely to get other guys over. Like they would go out there, they could wrestle a guy maybe that they wanted to push down the line who maybe wasn't there yet, do a few matches with Iron Mike Sharp, or a few matches with S.D. Jones. He'll teach you how the WWF style works. 
and he can feed back then like yeah this guy needs to work on his selling or his punches ain't so good or whatever that's really clever yeah it's really smart and I mean like it's funny because Iron Mike Sharp if you look up like he's lost like hundreds and hundreds of matches but everyone's always respected him as being like this awesome wrestler because he was so good and he did his job Mm. so well which is making other people look good well that's the thing I've never really understood about the whole wrestling industry looking down on people who lose all the time it's all predetermined. I mean, because we were talking about with Goldberg, and he yeah. was like, he didn't want to lose ever. Yeah, but, but that made sense because that's his gimmick, mm. which is different from a false reputation that you somehow think you've earned. Yeah. Like, if Brock Lesnar, okay, maybe Brock Lesnar's a bad example, but like, okay, Roman Reigns, for example, yeah. like, if he was like, oh yeah, I, I never lose, and that's what makes me a great wrestler, it's like, well, no, it, it's not because you win or lose depending on if Triple H or Vince McMahon says you should lose. Like It's entirely up to them and not up to you. Mm. So you can't take any credit for whether or not your win streak is particularly high. Or yeah, exactly. Streak. Yeah, it's it's not... It's oftentimes, particularly in the WWE, it's yeah. very little to do with you whether no. or not you've got a good win streak or it's not. It's a lot of luck and who do you know? And it's quite interesting as well because when we talk about people like S.T. Jones and Mike Sharp, I mean, there's other guys like from down the line like Funaki and Scotty Tuhati and Stevie Richards. These are all guys who were never really like over at all. But if you look at how long they were employed by WWE, they got like 10, 15 year careers losing all the time, mm. making a couple of hundred grand, you know, every couple of years. You not know, selling merch, but they've got a good steady income yeah. and they're on national TV. Compared to maybe if you come in for a year and you know you you win a bit and you, you lose a bit and they get sick of you and you disappear. I mean, yeah. that's a that's a smart you know. It's like that kid in my school who's like, I'm going to become an actuarist. Yeah, it's a really like out there but actually ultimately very responsible decision. You yeah. <laughs> so I wanted to show Joe a classic jobber squash match that can show. The sympathy of the jobber making someone else look way better. And recently, when Joe and I were reviewing Battleground on Patreon, Randy Orton took on Jinder Mahal, uh, <laughs> who, for some reason, people kept sending us in stuff about for this on Twitter. I don't know. Jinder's not a jobber. He's a WWE champion at the moment. But anyway, um, Greg Kali appeared in that match. And Greg Kali, it was a very, very big man. And I think all I could tell you is that he was an awful wrestler. Mm. But we decided to watch from ECW in 2008, the great Cali versus Colin Delaney. Colin Delaney, who looks a bit like Big Cass in the face. Yeah, you think so. you got the kind of longness. He also looks almost exactly like my brother, which is <laughs> the weirdest so thing like about this brother. because they showed a montage of Colin Delaney just getting beaten up by like every big wrestler in wrestling. I love so many things about Colin's like look. I love. You've I got love. a little figure of him. I do. You? It's my. Fa- it's honestly, I'm a big wrestling figure collector, and mm. there's so many ones which I'm like, oh, this one is like special, special. My Colin Delaney one, I just adore because. He's such a like he's such a uh, a weird thing to see in two thousand and eight that they actually had to give him his own special body because all the other wrestlers were all big jacked yeah. up ones and Colin has to have a special scrawny body that they sculpted just for him. Yeah, he's a tiny bee boy. Colin is the least intimidating hmm. name ever for a wrestler. Oh yeah, it's like a proper normal name. <laughs> Colin, yeah. ah, bless him, El Colin. It's the kind of human name I would give to my cat to, <laughs> to humanise it a bit. <laughs> well, you'll have to know that Colin Delaney, because he worked here at ECW, uh, when he was on the Indies office, went by the moniker The Extremely Cute Wrestler. Oh, he is quite cute. Now, Colin was meant to be brought in, like as we mentioned at the start, he was one of those guys which is, look, we need someone to make like 
Mark Henry looked good this week. Send some lad in. And Colin came in. That's weird, isn't it? Because he's so small. Like, I don't really understand how someone so tiny is supposed to make someone like Mark Henry look good. Because if you see Mark Henry in there with like another wrestler, you're going to see someone who's also, you know, maybe big and kind of muscular. And like Mark Henry, you want to get across how strong he is. You get someone in there who's super light like Colin, who bounces around like a pinball. Mm. Like if you look at like that montage, everyone in that montage is someone who usually has boring matches. It's like, you know, Viscera and Kane and Grey Cali and like, stuff like that. Quite slow movers. Plodding wrestlers. And then you got Colin who's like flying around. And he's so skinny, Colin, as well. That's what like makes it look like he's got his weird tights with like it's got like a vest bit that he never pulls up. Assumedly because he's too sore and covered he's covered in bandages. <laughs> And like he's interviewed Taz is like, does your mom know that you're wrestling? And he's like, no. <laughs> it's like, let's take a look at some of your matches, Colin. And Colin can't turn around because he's hurt his arm. So Taz has to like physically move him. him. <laughs> <laughs> so when his opponent is announced as the Great Cali, Colin like he doesn't even go, oh no. He's he just doesn't like, even react. It's like he's comatose and he just stares into nothingness until the Kali is standing directly in front of him. And Colin's and like face is right in his boob. Smushed in his chest, like <laughs> too scared to look up. Because he doesn't want to see it's like when you're up really tall, mm. you don't want to look down to see how high up you are. Yeah. He doesn't look up to see how much bigger the Kali is than him. It's like when you stand near a skyscraper and you look up and you start to get a bit dizzy. <laughs> get sick. <Whoa. laughs> <laughs> it would have been funny if he looked up got dizzy fell, fell over. over and then got pinned <laughs> so yeah the announcers do a great job of putting over like how unfortunate Colin's decision to become a WWE wrestler has been with Joey Styles gripping this makes you wonder how much pain one human body can simply endure in a lifetime it does look very painful for poor old Colin I was wondering what's in it for him what, why so he's, his story is that he's Wants to become a WWE wrestler. Well, I mean, are you asking me in kayfabe? Yeah, in kayfabe. Like, what's his character's reason for going through all this? He wants to be a wrestler. He wants to be signed to WWE, make the big money. Got to get your foot in the door some way. I mean, it, that's quite brave. It is, He's yeah. not... In any of the like the montage bits in this, he wasn't made out to be brave. He never runs. You know, but no. he is so he is brave in that sense that he faces the music yeah. like. <laughs> I think the reason like why Colin was brought in is because the show that he was brought into, ECW, had a very small roster. He'd only had around fifteen guys on it in total. Mm. So Colin was brought in just one week, look, look, make this guy look good. And he did such a good job at it. They're like, look, we've got like five other guys who could probably do with yeah. a bit of shine. Just come back next week. And they like the the idea of every week you would have more and more tape. Like the week <laughs> after this he came out with a neck brace. The week Aww. after this he was on crutches, like he was like a mummy basically by the end of it. He had so many bandages on him. So Kayfabe, the reason he's here is he wants a foot in the door. Whoever's running the show is obviously enough of a sadist that it's like, yeah, fine. Fucking I'll give you fifty bucks, come wrestle the Grey Kelly, you stupid idiot. It'll make for fun TV, I guess. <laughs> but IRL, like Collins, is like it's an opportunity for him, I guess. Mm. He gets one hit on the head, Kelly chops the top of his head, and oh. Colin kind of like falls like a Jenga tower it's imploding. Like <laughs> and then uh, he gives him the Punjabi plunge, and I thought that would be it, but no, he does the hand ah! vice. Now there's been so many times where I've watched the Grey Cali do that vice and I just have an owl laugh at it. Like, it's so funny. Because, like, if you see him put the vice on, like, Batista, and Batista's going, like, ow, and pulling silly faces, it looks kind of silly. But with Colin here, where, oh my god. I think I'm going to have actual nightmares about the Great Cali's hands. 
so scary. I was genuinely terrified he was going to pop his head like a grape. Because, like, recently... I was massaging your head. Yeah, it was really nice. And I was like, oh yeah, go a bit harder. And you went slightly too hard. Not through your fault. You're just a big guy and you're stronger than you realise. I'm and just I was... Lenny from of my and Men <laughs> <that> accidentally <laughs> killed <me> Joe <laughs> and my mouse. And afterwards I had a bit of a headache and I was like, oh, that's a bit scary. Like how easy it could be for Kevin just to kill me if he wanted to. He could just crush my head. And then this was like just terrifying because the Great Kali is like, twice your size and his hands are the size of cars like he could probably hold all of your head in one hand oh easily like, just, like, e- like a and claw have, and have room to carry several watermelons so he could just <laughs> easily carry anything imagine him making a bed how easy would it be for him to do that see it's funny now because having watched this match with, the, with Colin Delaney you're like scared of the Grey Calais yeah which if you have watched if you had watched any if I showed you literally any other Calais match you'd be like what a fucking shit tall crap house wrestler this guy is it's interesting that you say that that move isn't like scary though it's silly like most of the time is like. that really just is the reason that move was so scary then just down to the fact that because Colin's reaction he goes limp he goes dead in the eyes his face goes red red but grey at the same time <laughs> his face is like smeared across Callie's hands it's like proper upsetting and he can't tap out the referee just has to say no no more no more wrestling stop it everyone go home and he's just like <laughs> lying there in the corner oh it's horrible so, I mean, I think that was one, because I, I watched all the Colin squashes, and I was like, who's one wrestler who, like, a jobber... Like, that that right there proves to me why jobbers are, are necessary, because, like, yeah. he looked so scary, Cali. Like, and if anyone came out after that to try and, like, save Colin, you'd think he's a total hero as yeah. a result. <laughs> and they did do a storyline with Colin where he tried to get a contract, and they put him in these really horrible matches, and, like... He eventually managed to finally do it, like, and it was a re- like jobbers. You can always get these really good feel-good moments from if they eventually manage to win anything. <laughs> so, what's Colin Delaney up to these days then? Colin Delaney is wrestling on the indies. Uh, he was with WWE for like a year and a half. Then he went on, did loads of stuff with Chikara. He does stuff with you know a lot of stuff on the the East Coast. He hosts a podcast or two huh. as well. And yeah, Colin's on Twitter as well. I, I love Colin Delaney. Uh, Colin, you've got a fan over here at How To Wrestling. Aww. He is extremely cute though, isn't he? He is a cute boy. So we talked a lot about how jobbers were used a lot in the 80s and how they were kind of frequently used to you know kind of keep our top stars away from each other. But in the late 90s when we got into the Attitude Era, we kind of stopped using jobbers almost altogether. That kind of stopped being a thing. The jobbers drought of the Attitude Era. <laughs> well, it's strange because like it was around the start of the Attitude Era, they started using the word jobber like on TV. Oh, so they hadn't previously no 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 one was ever referred to as a jobber never what had they referred to them then just a local competitor oh. enhancement talent bobby the brain heenan would call them ham and eggers why because they were so low down the pecking order that their money or their payoff was so low that they could just about afford a ham and egg supper from the local diner mm, that's sad i mean if you pop down to a weather spoon now Ham, egg and chip is one of the cheapest meals you can get. Yeah, so. it's like £4. Please tell me they're getting paid more than like £4. <laughs> I hope so. But yeah, the first time I recall it, it was there was a guy called Mark Merrow and he was facing off against a dude called Tom Brandy. And Tom Brandy used to be a jobber and they were trying to make him not a jobber. So they rebranded him as Tom Brandy. And then Mark Merrow came out and went, look at you, you're not Tom Brandy, you're just some jobber. And it was like, 
you can't say that on TV. And then they would have all through the attitude and be like, well, you're doing the job tonight. I hate to break it to you. You're going to be the jobber tonight. So there was all this talk about, oh, you're the jobber. No, yeah. you're the jobber. Mm-hmm. No, I'm the jobber. But there weren't any jobbers. I mean, you did have one group of jobbers. <laughs> but because of the weird way the attitude era works, like everyone in the attitude era had to have a storyline, basically. Like even the top to the bottom, everyone had little stories. But like jobbers bring stories. Yeah, they, and they, got, they banded together, you see. So the jobbers... Wait, you said there weren't any jobbers. They weren't jobbers being used like the way we used to use them, in that you'd have a local competitor facing the big star. There were guys who were lower down the pecking order, though, who were still kind of like losers. Yeah. Who were referred to as being jobbers. Right. Okay. Yeah. So chief among which was a guy called Al Snow, who he was so sick of the fact that he was always losing all the time, he decided to form the Job Squad. Which had the moniker of Pin Me, Pay Me. Ah. One, two, three, four, life. <laughs> um, because him and he realised that him and all the jobbers were getting no respect. So it was him, the Blue Meanie, Gilberg was part of the job squad as well. It's like a union for jobbers. It, it was essentially, they, they were like, look, no one looks out for us. We have to look out for each other. It was like Bob Holly's in there, Scorpio. All these, like, they had nothing connecting them other than... They lost lots. That's amazing. So yeah, they just kind of tried to watch each other's backs and, you know, make sure that no one would uh, fuck them over. But they usually end up getting beat up anyway. <laughs> but yeah, it's just like, it's so strange that they kind of pivoted away from from jobbers being like, like the TV show stopped being man versus jobber or woman versus jobber. It started being, you know, tonight The Rock will take on The Road Dog or X-Pac will take on Kane or The Undertaker and Steve Austin will take on The Dudley Boys. Like, that's started all through the Attitude Era because you had two shows now that were competing head-to-head, WCW and WWF. Oh, so they had to increase their output. Yeah, so it's like, well, we can't have a jobber match because if I have a jobber match, the other guys won't have a jobber match and then we'll lose the rating. So that's kind of where jobbering lost its part of the show really interesting yeah Ah. I do feel it's something which is missed it is but I also really like the sound of the way they did it in the attitude era like it sounds like they still had jobbers but they were contributing to a story now yes so they're kind of taking part almost and I mean one person who cropped up all throughout the 80s and the 90s and the noughties and some of the most recent decade whatever we're calling that now the teens Mm -hmm. Uh, do we call it the teens I don't know. Naughties I never thought the was going to catch teens. on. The teens, whatever. I can't wait till we get to the Roaring Twenties in a few years. That's going to oh, be yeah. great. Like, but the Brooklyn Brawler is someone who has been a constant. Like he has always been there. You've looked up a few pictures of the Brooklyn Brawler, Joe. How would you describe the man who fights from the Bronx? He's a bit greasy looking. He wears like a weird t-shirt jumper thing that's like deliberately cut open with scissors at several points over it and it's a bit gross and stained <laughs> um kind of guy who you'd imagine definitely seeing one of those old blokey pubs <laughs> like you see the brooklyn brawler smoking a cigarette slightly too close to a pub door spin mm. yeah <laughs> <laughs> so the brooklyn brawler was originally just like a guy who was brought in as a jobber back in the, you know, the 80s he was there to lose to hulk hogan primarily and he got a backstage role. He ended up being like an agent and a producer. And he would do like backstage promos. That was his job. But anytime they needed a warm body to go out there, he'd take off his, you know, agent hat, put on the old brawler t-shirt. He'd always bring it with him. 
And because he was a trade wrestler, he'd go out there and bump around a little bit. That's really clever to do kind of both the backstage agent side of things and be a jobber. Yeah, because he knows exactly what they want then, you know? You know the industry, you've got the contacts, and also you can fit in nice... Because I imagine, like, jobbing as a full-time job, I can't imagine it's the best pay. No, you, you would make lower... The thing is, you make lower pay and you don't get merch... But you'll be there. Usually, if you play your cards, you can have a career yeah. that's three times as long as most WWE careers. So supplementing that with another kind of role, which is yeah. physically intensive, is yeah. really smart. Very smart. The, the Brooklyn Brawler had like the sweet spot there where you got to do like be involved in creative stuff and you know get to wrestle a bit here and there. And yeah, like we said in the Attitude Era, they would often use like jobbers as like kind of part of the story. And Brooklyn Brawler was used as a punchline very, very often, as was uh, Gilberg, like we mentioned in our Goldberg episode. And here in this scenario we're watching, it's Triple H. He has a three-on-one handicap match. If Triple H wants to get his match against Chris Jericho, he has to beat three of the jobbingest jobbers on the roster, <laughs> which is Kai and Tai, Takamichinoku, and Sho Funaki, and the Brooklyn Brawler, which has to be the oddest threesome of wrestlers I have ever seen together. Yeah. I mean, what calls these guys together other than the fact that they lose lots and the colour blue? I don't know. I was hoping you could tell me that. It's just they like, they I think the idea of Triple H having an unfair match, but against guys who are so low down that it's technically fair. Yeah. Mick Foley was the, kind of the, the guy in charge of the show at the time. So he mm. was like having fun and getting to Triple H this way. He was a nasty baddie. It was interesting though because the jobbers in this match are really good wrestlers. Yeah. Like, I thought they made Triple H look quite bad. In what sense? Well, they were doing these really impressive, like the kind, <laughs> it's not the kind ties, it's Just kind ties. Just kind yeah. Right. Well, they were doing all these amazing, like, flip de doo moves off the side of the mm. ring, and, oh, it was just really impressive stuff that they were doing. Meanwhile, Triple H is kind of, like, throwing a punch here and there, and... The pedigree. The pedigree. <laughs> that, that's kind of it. <laughs> no, you're dead right, and unfortunately, like, very often is the case, if you're kind of a career job or someone they put in that spot, like, they're not going to put someone who they think is really shit and, like, really can't work well or, you know, isn't a good wrestler. Mm. They rarely put them in those spots because... They're not going to be able to make anyone else look good. Mm. So, unfortunately, yeah, you've got people like Takamichinoku at that time was probably one of the best wrestlers on the planet. Jesus. But he was just put in that position because, you know, A, he was a good wrestler, B, they didn't know what to do with him, and C, he was under contract. Because I kind of feel that, like, you could almost use it to the advantage of modern day wrestling and that you know that it's a, it's a thing quite often comes up in conversation about wrestling these days is is wrestling too flip-de-doo is mm. it all too high flying um and does it make the other wrestlers look bad yeah i think if you had more lower card guys and jobbers that did that style and still lost mm. that wouldn't be as much of an issue yeah i think so yeah that might kind of like level it out a little yeah. bit almost like, well you've got all these fl- high flying moves but can you actually win a match <laughs> So it's great here when they're coming out, like, even though there's three on one, the announcers are making out that it's still, like, they're at the disadvantage. They refer to Brooklyn Brawler as having spent more time on the canvas than Rembrandt. (laughs) (laughs) So all three of them, like, try and team up and beat up Triple H. Like, he keeps, like, managing to throw him out of the ring and he keeps managing to, like, start beating them up. And anytime they're in danger, they all jump to each other's rescue. I thought Brooklyn Brawler, when he came out here, looked like some sort of, like, unwashed stepdad who doesn't realise that it's his weekend with the kids like he's just coming out there his hair's all messy he's wearing like a torn t-shirt do you want to go to the Yankees game his t-shirt confuses me though because it is it's you don't get 
accidental rips like that. It's not like it's just wear and tear. He's taken a pair of scissors to that in a very intentional way. Uh, Jerry Lawler used to have a great line about the Brooklyn Brawler, which was, uh, someone once told the Brooklyn Brawler, don't ever change, man. And he thought that to mean that never change your clothes. And that's why he always <laughs> has these smelly jeans and smelly t-shirts. So Triple H hits a pedigree to Fanaki, eliminates him. A pedigree to Takamichi eliminates him. Just the brawler left on his own somehow. Try- I mean, that's what I love. Like, brawler, like, even though he's a total jobber, knows how to do a little bit of a comeback. And yeah, just yeah. the crowd really get into it. It like. was like a really good, albeit very short match. Yeah, it's like he has that little, like, even in five minutes, you can have the, the peaks and troughs yeah. with someone who knows what they're doing. Jericho runs in and hits the lion salt on Triple H, who just shoved the referee. Brooklyn Brawler slithers over, manages to pin Hunter Hearst Helmsley. That's right, the Brooklyn Brawler, his one win I think he's had in his entire career, is over Triple H. Wow. Which is fucking amazing. Could we get, like, a return from him in 2018? Like, <laughs> Triple H, I beat you once and I'm back. I mean, if we're to do it the way Triple H does his things now, right, it would have to be Triple H comes out like the Raw before WrestleMania, wearing his leather jacket and some mm. little cool jeans, and the Brooklyn Brawler also comes out in a leather jacket and jeans, and they've got sunglasses, and they're like... You think you're the baddest motherfucker? I'm bad. No, I'm bad. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking dads. So my highlight of this was Taka and Funaki, who are probably together, combined, lighter than the Brooklyn Brawler, come in and they try and lift him up on his shoulders and then they're like wobbling and he's like, yeah, with one finger, like I won one match. (laughs) And Triple H just lays them all out afterwards. Fucking hell. I enjoyed that match. Very fun little trip down memory lane, seeing what you can do with jobbers against main event talent. And when you've got someone like Triple H who's meant to be the top bad guy, mm. and he's losing to the fucking jobber, like it shows you like losses don't really matter if no. you if you carry it well, you know. So there are a lot of wrestlers who started off their lives as jobbers. Uh, I thought I'd read out a few to you now and uh, <laughs> surprise you. Young Edge. Edge started off his life. He was a total jobber. Uh, he was known as Sexton Hardcastle when he first uh, was wrestling. Sexton Hardcastle. Sexton Hardcastle. The Hardy Boys, both Matt and Jeff, at the age of 16, were oh jobbers for WWF. Are there clips of them? Yes. Guess oh, who wow. Jeff Hardy's first match was against? I don't know. Razor Ramon. Oh, wow. So, yeah, Razor Ramon like had matches against Matt and Jeff Hardy when they were like 16 years old. If you just quickly Google Matt Hardy or Jeff Hardy jobber, you can see them, how young they look. Whoa, he's a boy. <laughs> look at them rat That's tails. That's so weird because he looks exactly the same except a boy. He, like, he looks he looks like a total jobber though, doesn't he? With his like, lightly coloured tights and his bad hair and his little boy face. I actually can't find any pictures of his outfit. It's just like cropped at the ah, way so he looks naked in all of them. But wow. Okay, hang on. I've got to find Jeff now. <laughs> Young Jeff Jobber Hardy. Jeff Hardy looks the same. Yeah, you reckon? He's just got really bad hair. He's got like <laughs> pop boy circa 1990s hairstyle like curtains. He always had his finger on the pulse even when he was a jobber. <laughs> oh my god, sorry. But just looking at these pictures of young Matt and Jeff Hardy as jobbers, uh, look who I found. Oh, young Samoa Job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, tell you about Samoa Job. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's funny, a lot of the wrestlers who went on to become the fucking kings of indie wrestling and are now the stars of WB. Daniel Bryan, AJ Styles, Samoa Joe, 
like 2000 and 2001 they were all having job matches wow. on Sunday Night Heat and Jack and Metal and all the other job shows you know, I'm really glad that I already know that John Cena was a jobber because otherwise from that list I would have kind of gotten the impression that with a lot of wrestling they would have maybe have seen those stars and been like eh they don't look like top guys mm. they're a bit skinny or a bit short yeah. let's try them as jobbers and see how they get over but like John Cena is the prototype looks exactly the same <laughs> now true, yeah. only in a different outfit like that is the body of a of what you'd imagine Vince McMahon to be like oh that's my top star <laughs> and yet that he was a jobber too so yeah. that's, that's good to know that it's not just like the ones who you wouldn't think fit the, the WWE mould yeah they had to go that way and become a jobber yeah. and toil for years I mean if you ever notice when some people get like kind of funny about certain wrestlers kind of bypassing the early parts of their career like people resented Roman Reigns uh, even Charlotte to an extent who are wrestlers who kind of were brought in set aside and groomed whereas back in the day you kind of had to earn your stripes you had to you had to be a jobber you had to lose for a while to kind of fully appreciate like even Kurt Hennig for instance Mr. Perfect wow you know, he started off even though he was the son of a legend he started off at the bottom he was a jobber for a few years as well but like, yeah you had to start off as a job guy that's kind of the way it was I get why people are annoyed about people bypassing that because it does it's, it's an algorithm that makes sense mm. get your practice in while you haven't got a big name for yourself and get all these losses out of the way, really practice against these big name opponents so that when you do make a big debut, you've got a lot more experience. Yeah, and I think there's so much you can learn yeah. in that role as like you know someone who's losing. If you are in the ring with someone who can teach you or someone who's like knows what they're doing, I imagine it's such a learning experience. Yeah. Like Steve Austin, when he first became uh, Stone Cold, he would wrestle jobbers and he would do a thing where... He would come in and say, come on, guy, come in the ring and wrestle Stone Cold. You can tell your grandkids you beat the WWF champ. And he would lie down and let the guy pin him one, two, three. And then he'd just get up and beat the shit out of him and then kill him in ten seconds. But they would, he would actually let them beat him. Yeah, yeah, he would let them get on top. He's like, oh, there you go. You can Why? tell some, I think it's so he could like, add a wrinkle, <laughs> add a story. But I mean, imagine like there's guys who could then use that down the line as like kind of a learning experience and... You know, you pick up so much, I guess, from some of these wrestlers if you're lucky enough to be in there in the ring with a mm. jobbing to a big superstar. In New Japan Pro Wrestling, they've got a system which is like the Young Lions system where no matter who you are, no matter what your background is, even if you're like a top MMA star or like the handsomest son of a bitch in the world or someone who's pegged to be the next person, as a Young Lion where you wear plain black trunks, plain black boots, you never win. You never get a chance to cut a promo. You never get anything. You just lose. And everyone has to do that. It's like mm. your year of as a loser. And I think it's like it humbles everyone to an extent. Yeah. And everyone learns kind of from that experience. I like that idea. Mm. And it makes a lot of sense. However, you can totally see how that kind of attitude would then breed resentment among people that don't follow that exact path. Yes. Yeah. Which isn't really fair because not everyone's going to have the exact same walk of life in to wrestling that everyone else does and i think there are some people as well who unfortunately can't start life as a jobber yeah i mean because we want to talk a little bit now about the modern role of jobbers we mentioned at the start about braun Strowman and nia Jax, who arguably if you think about who they are i mean could you see like braun Strowman jobbing for a year or well, nia Jax jobbing for a year i was actually gonna say because when we're talking about colin delaney mm. You know, fighting someone like Mark Henry, how mm. can he make him look strong and big when Condoleni is tiny? And I was thinking, like, would it not have been more impressive to almost have someone like Braun Strowman mm. or, say, Nia Jax as a jobber role to see them get beaten 
and they're huge great big yeah. monster types it's like whoa but if you can beat these guys then you must be really strong that's funny yeah, they did that in ECW with um, Spike Dudley the younger Dudley brother who was like he was the run to the letter he's like 5 foot 150 pounds and he got the moniker of the giant killer there's like oh there's no way he'd be able to ever beat up Bubba Ray Dudley and then he would take on they would find these massive like sometimes like super obese wrestlers who were like 700 pounds who would just like fucking come into the ring and take one move from Spike Dudley and he managed to beat them. <laughs> I was like, oh my God. Like, so I guess there even is still a role for big people to play. I think definitely. Yeah. You just need to book it right. I yeah. think, yeah, you should have, jobbers should be diverse, I think. Mm. And that way you can tell the story you need to depending on who you've got Absolutely. against them in the ring. Because <laughs> I mean, I think if you had a good jobber who comes in and you have like someone like, you know, like a Hideo Itami or a Seth Rollins, like mm. a smaller, quick guy and he's able to like just take them apart even yeah. though they're so big you could squash them that way and they would still like you get a lot out of it I guess yeah. it doesn't have to be a pipsqueak all the time but speaking of pipsqueaks we had to find a Braun Strowman match that would uh, really really do it for us and do justice I wasn't originally going to watch just a straight up classic Braun Strowman versus everyone's favourite man missing a chin James Ellsworth but unfortunately, that match just not, not a lot happens in it. He, no. just, he just beats up Ellsworth. I mean, I guess it's worth mentioning Ellsworth is a modern day kind of example of a jobber being brought in. He was brought in for one night to lose to Braun. And he said, any man with two hands has got fat and chains. <laughs> and Braun killed him. And Ellsworth trended worldwide because he was weird looking yeah. and he had sympathy. I wonder if Polly is well, though. He is quite reminiscent of Colin Delaney. Yes. Like, physically, they look quite similar. And even Colin Delaney, actually, is very reminiscent of a brainchild of Paul Heyman from back in ECW, which is a guy called Mikey Whipwreck. Which even the name, Mikey Whipwreck, sounds like the guy who's been caught in some sort of terrible accident. (laughs) But Mikey used to set up the ring for Paul as, like, you know, local kids. And they would set up the ring, and then the trade-off, the pay, was they got to bounce around the ring and just play wrestling for a little bit and work on their moves before the show started and Paul would watch and he said that Mikey because he was such a small young little boy and he looked so sympathetic when he got hurt and he's like I need you to be my guy so Paul had Mikey Whipwreck and he would come out wearing these awful like wizard t-shirts like with dragons on them his entrance music was Loser by Beck he'd have mismatched knee pads because he had to borrow them from people in the locker room (laughs) and he never got in a single offensive manoeuvre wow that's impressive like there was no hope spots in his matches he just got beat up but then like he managed to once he was put in a match for the ECW championship and he managed to win he managed to by fluke beat Steve Austin with in no ECW. offensive moves. with no offense just managing to get a pin or managing to get the belt or wow. whatever it was there's a great one as well where Mikey got a tag team championship match and because no one liked Mikey because he was so shit he was on his own so he just spent the whole match getting beat up by the tag team champions and by complete fluke banana peel finish Mikey managed to win so Mikey Whipwreck magically became the tag team champions on his own <laughs> and then Mick Foley just came out as Cactus Jack he's like yay I'm your partner and now I'm one of the tag team champions what? so he became Mikey's uh, tag partner after he won the belts because like ah, I can hitch my wagon to this kid wrestling so yeah I mean ideas circulate in wrestling I guess Ellsworth is this a similar story that has been told before and again and again but there's a lot to be said about a loser everyone loves a loser in wrestling 
So Braun Strowman taking on not one, not two, but three gentlemen. It's uh, from Raw, just past year, October 16th, 2016. It's Braun Strowman versus the Mile High Trio. We didn't like Braun Strowman uh, back in the day, Joe. It's so weird to think now that we didn't like him. So I think we've obviously changed our tune because we were whinging about how shit he was. And I mean, a lot of people hated Braun because he didn't go to NXT or the Performance Center. He just pretty much went straight to the roster after and basic training. He wasn't that good in the beginning, which especially rubbed everyone the wrong way, I think. If you're not going to go to NXT, I think there's this expectation that you have to be really good. You have to be like AJ Styles. Yeah, like, 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 come on, only the best get to circumvent NXT like that. I mean, they could pretty much have a giant banner in the Performance Centre, and it's like just Samoa Joe looking surly going, if he has to come, <laughs> so do you. <laughs> So yeah, what is it do you think in the last year has changed the opinion on Braun? Because he's my favourite thing in wrestling right now. Unabashedly, summer of 2017, my favourite wrestler is Braun Strowman. But well, it's really difficult to say because like watching this, it was just like watching current Braun. So I can't even look back and be like, oh yeah, that's what I didn't like about him. Because yeah. he's throwing around jobbers here the same way he throws around top stars now. Mm. Only difference being now he's throwing around Roman Reigns and like Brock Lesnar instead of these guys. I guess the, the thing was that when Braun was set off on his own, they took him away from the Wyatt family. He used to be part of that group with Bray Wyatt. Again, that's so weird to think. It's, it seems like a million years ago now, doesn't it? Yeah, he seems so distanced from them. And when he was on his own, he seemed so lost. And then they started putting him against jobbers. And my thought was... He's big, they obviously see something in him, but they have nothing for him. So this is a vain attempt for him to get better, I guess. Mm. But apparently, like, every time you go out and squash a jobber, Vince McMahon would go through, like, a fine-tooth comb with him afterwards. Here's everything you did wrong. Yeah. Here's how you need to improve. You can't do this in a mat. You can't show this emotion. You have to do that. You know, he was, like, using all these job matches as, like intensive training essentially god no wonder he improved so much yeah i had no idea that's fantastic i didn't know vince even still did that yeah no vince like there's certain like kind of people who he almost like on a one-to-one basis and braun has talked in you know podcasts and interviews about how hands-on vince and triple h have both been and said like they were really hard on him like they, they said if it wasn't perfect they would like give out to him they'd chew him out like and force him to get better essentially and he did it's fucking worked because he's one of the best guys in WWE at the moment yeah and we got Ellsworth out of it as well I mean this is great like he he throws him around like they're nothing and then he's got this red pants dude who he throws from inside the ring all the way to the outside onto the two other little jobbers <laughs> fucking incredible just lobs him it's great because they use it as a showcase because like Braun not only does he get to show his power off mm. they also have things as well where like braun does like a running drop kick or a guy runs away from him and braun manages to outrun him even <laughs> though he's four times the size <laughs> the end comes where he hits some finishers and just stacks them all up one on top of each other he wins and goes <laughs> and i think like i know this works so well with braun i know they did a similar thing with nia Jax. Mm. Do you think it's been as successful with Nia Jax as getting her over as being like a total monster killer? Because I don't know if it has been as successful. I think it worked when they first were doing it on NXT, mm. but they've not done it since she's moved up to the main show, have they? When she first debuted, she had a few weeks of job matches mm. where she just beat up jobbers. But unfortunately, obviously it takes more than just beating jobbers to improve. And I think, yeah. I mean, if, if Braun Strowman's getting this like one-on-one mentorship with the two most powerful men in WWE, that's going to do a lot of good for your career 
over Naya, who I'm guessing hasn't had that same privilege. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I, 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 Naya's not talked about that, I guess. I mentioned this on Twitter because I was asking, like, you know, really was interested to chat with people over on How To Wrestling on Twitter um, about, like, why they thought certain things work in the current climate and haven't worked for other people. And someone made a very astute point that the job matches are all well and good, but it's who they feud with after the job matches. Yeah. And I can't even remember who Nia feuded with after her job matches. I think she just went into circulation. Whereas Braun feuded with Sami Zayn. Mm. And they had that whole story about Sami being killed and how much did that make Braun look even better still. Yeah, it's true. We can, with our with our jobbers, get some feel-good moments. We've obviously talked about Mikey Whipwreck. We've seen the Brooklyn Brawler. We had to watch this match. It was the most requested one and is the classic feel-good moment. Part of a series of three matches these two did. It's Body Donna Skip taking on Barry Horowitz from SummerSlam 1995. A little recap video says that Barry Horowitz is a journeyman with the longest losing streak in WWF history. Aww. Aww. So Barry Horowitz, it was Jewish, has a streak, but the streak is the opposite, is all losers. Wait, he... seriously? Yeah. That, that's a... So, sorry, this has like blown my mind. <laughs> You've got a Jewish wrestler yep. called Barry Horowitz mm-hmm. who has a streak yep. and it's about losing. Yes. And then Goldberg comes in. Yep. <laughs> Jewish wrestler has a streak, only he fucking wins all the time. It's funny because we got so many of those messages where people are talking about yeah. how Goldberg was like a shift away from how Jewish wrestlers have been presented in like, the past. Like, I understood at the time, yes, that would be a big deal. Mm. But seeing, like, I think having done Goldberg so recently and seeing especially, like, what a stereotype Barry Horowitz is. Like, he's a Jewish accountant with a pocket protector and he comes out to... Have the, yeah, 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 the stereotypical Jewish music. Like, God, Goldberg must have been a breath of fresh air. Yeah, because, I mean, people message with me and pointed out, you know, there's other wrestlers other than Barry Horowitz and Goldberg who are Jewish. Obviously, Matt Bloom, uh, known as Tensai or Prince Albert, he was Jewish. Dean Malenko, Cole Cabana. But I guess it's because it was kind of front and centre their, their Jewish uh, background was part of their character or who mm. they were and to see how Barry is presented serious you know. it's like literally opposite yeah. wow I want to be the Jewish kid in 1995 who's a wrestling fan with other wrestling fans like I mean yeah. Jesus Christ you must have got people patting themselves on the back like all ranged <laughs> all the time I do like the patting yourself on the back thing that's really funny <laughs> it's great because in Cole Cabana he was briefly in WWE and he would pat himself on the back <laughs> now and then as well which is I great. was <laughs> reading online that apparently Barry Horowitz had a jacket with a hand on the back <laughs> <laughs> I need that jacket like <laughs> His opponent, Skip, who's accompanied by Sonny, she calls him Barry Horriblewitz. Oh, very witty, that one. Excellent wordplay right there. Uh, Barry comes at him with, like, full force here. Like, he, this is actually quite a long match, quite a back-and-forth match. And the idea being that Barry, he's a loser, but he's tasted success recently, so he knows he can win. The crowd are so behind him. Mm. Like, hearing an entire arena go, Barry, Barry, <laughs> Barry, that's what my cat was called a few years ago, Barry, what an unimposing wrestling name, Barry and Colin, like, I'm just saying. Yeah, it's a, it's a trend of, like, jobbers having the most normal names. And I, here's my tag team partner, Keith, come here, <laughs> Keith, yeah. <laughs> This is such a not jobbers match. Like mm. you ha- would have had to have tell me that this is a jobbers match because if you watch out of context, you would n- have no idea. Yeah, because it's like 
if Skip, the story is that if Skip wasn't such a fucking idiot and didn't keep stopping to do like warm up exercises and like chat with Sonny or like even at one point stopping the pin to go, it goes, I can win in a few minutes if I want to anyway. Like the story is if he tried and was focused, he could have beaten Barry. But Barry, Barry's got passion. That's mm-hmm. what they're trying to tell you is that even if you always lose, if you have that passion, you can pull it out. Like that's mm. the whole thing. And I know a lot of people we've ragged on Barry. I know there are people who like Barry Horowitz is a hero for them. Like, and that's a weird thing. To well, he imagine. certainly got like admirable traits. I think if you're going to be a jobber, but have how long do you say he was? A, he had his career as a jobber then. I mean, he would have been there for four or five years. He lost a couple of hundred matches in that time. See, that's pretty impressive. It is. He's consistent, Barry. And that, to like. remain very likable as well. Yeah, like, you've got to have a lot of positive attributes that people can identify with. Mm, absolutely. I mean, Action Bronson, the rapper, did a song, like an homage to Barry Horowitz. You know, about like you know, him being like his favorite wrestler when he was a kid. And, uh, you know, that obviously was the most relevant Barry's name had been in recent years. And then he was asked, like, if he wanted to come, you know, appear with action on one of his big shows he was doing. And Barry refused. He thought his song was disrespectful because he referred to him as a jobber in it. He's not a jobber. How dare you? Oh, my God. He was upset about being called a jobber. Yeah. And then he said that, if anything, Action Bronson should be coming to his show when he wrestles there. <laughs> I just love wrestling, like how weird people are about things like that. But I don't think I'll ever understand why being called a jobber is like an insult or anything. I think like just a gen, this is like a public service announcement. If you ever meet a wrestler, even in jest, don't call him a jobber. Just better safe than sorry. No one's got like, at best they'll go, oh yeah, okay. Worst case scenario, they'll be really offended and not come to your rap concert. (laughs) So the end comes when uh, Barry Horowitz, in a moment where Hakushi, the tattooed mysterious Japanese warrior, appears, jumps over both men. That was amazing. Uh, Very impressive. He did a magic move there. (laughs) And Barry manages to roll him up. Such is the jobbing nature of Barry Horowitz that Joe was convinced that Barry had actually lost for a good few minutes. I swear his shoulders were down. <laughs> but the way, when he wins, like he's literally crying. He's in tears. Like yeah. that he finally manages to win again on pay per view. <laughs> and I think like that's an important thing about jobbers. We've talked about the roles that they can have. They can make other guys look better. They can help guys improve. They can be a means for someone to themselves improve. But I think a real great thing about jobbers is they can give you those feel-good moments. Like when Ellsworth managed to pin AJ Styles that one time this year, that was great. When he did it the other two times, maybe that was not as great. But you can get feel-good moments from jobbers. Mm. And uh, yeah, we had some really, really great matches sent to us. Those are just but a few. I'm going to have to clear the air now because Joe is so excited or pent up. I mean, you can you can pitch this as the dilemma that I've been in this week. I haven't even been informed enough about this to know what even what it is. All Kevin has said to me, and he said this to me like over a week ago, he was like, oh my God. I, I was at work, he messaged me, he was like, oh my God, Joe, I found out the most mind-blowing thing about this Jobbers episode I ever. had to tell someone! I was in the middle of a meeting, I was like, oh my God, I wonder what it is. Like, I came out of a meeting, I was like, what, what is it, what is it? Oh, I can't tell you, it's a spoiler, I have to save it for the episode. And then Adam came around earlier this week and Kevin was like, oh my God, Adam, this amazing thing I've discovered, it's mind-blowing, what the fuck? And again, not allowed to say it because you've got to save it for the episode. And now I hear you've contacted Brian Zane about it. I have, yes, um, I needed to. And you still can't tell me what on earth is going on 
please break the news. The problem was, like, I, I like when I found this, I was like, oh, whoa, it's a thing that I didn't know about. <laughs> Have to tell. And, and, you know, you can just view it as that I care about you so much <laughs> that you're the first person you I thought. To... no other friends. Yeah, so... <laughs> And the problem was, well, was like, then later on in the day, I was really struggling with it. I was like, oh, I've got a cracking analogy. Oh, wait, I can't use that because <laughs> it will literally spoil it. I wanted to find a compilation of job matches, like a couple back to back, just so you could see the squashes. And you know, we, we, we ended up watching a lot of squashes. We had to find them painstakingly on the network, which kept crashing every five minutes. But we have seen all the matches we wanted to do. But I wanted to originally find like just a compilation. Like, you know, we found a mini compilation of Goldberg winning matches. I wanted to find a compilation of jobbers losing. Mm. And I couldn't find anything on YouTube or any of the other places where I would usually look. So I just went into Google and I looked for it. And I found one or two threads, people asking, is there any videos up there? No one had anything. And then there was one which was like, there's this really, really great compilation of jobbers. Check it out. And the video was dead. It was an old link and it was gone. I was like, damn it. But then I scrolled down and read the other comments. And someone went, man, did you read some of the comments on this video? It's really, really weird. Like, what's going on here? And then Brian Zane, I could tell it was Brian because it had his, uh, you know, his logo and all of his links were on his bio there on, on the forum saying, oh, yeah, back when I was uh, a jobber, when I turned to wrestle and I had to put up some of my matches, I got all these kind of comments as well. And it was very, very strange. I didn't know what it was. So I went down the rabbit hole. Before I ask Brian, by the way, if you've not checked out Wrestling With Regret with Brian Zane, go fucking check it out. The best thing on YouTube wrestling related as far as I'm concerned. I didn't know he was a jobber. That's really interesting. Yeah, Brian learned how to wrestle, so he did some job stuff back in his day. And like, you know, he got beat up on local indies and whatnot. So I went and I looked, tried to find out what it was. And it turns out there's this entire, very big subculture about jobbers as a sexual fetish. No! Yeah! A whole fucking thing. Fan fiction, video compilations, as in people pop videos of old job matches and write long descriptions about the backstory of the jobber, specific moves that are extra sexual. No! You know that movie Tickles, the one that we watched yes, recently? I was just thinking that. That's the analogy I came up with. Yes. I was like, oh, Joe, oh, it's a sex and thing. And it would have ruined it. It would have ruined it. Oh my God, I need a documentary about this so, fetish right now. So I've watched some terrible stuff. I've been podcasting for six years and I've watched some terrible stuff. And I've had to endure some terrible things. I've had a lot of great times. Don't get me wrong. It's been all fun by and large. But the single hardest thing that I've ever had to do in my professional podcasting career is send a Facebook message to Brian when I noticed he was online go, Hey Brian, haha, hope this isn't too weird, but can you tell me about when you were sexually objectified when you were... Fucking <laughs> hell! And Brian, who by the way, after what seemed, you know, he was typing, I was like, oh for fuck's sake. I was like, never mind. I <laughs> I'll tell you, Brian, if you're listening, the message I sent you, that was draft three and day four. So I agonized over this how to approach you. poor thing. Oh, my God. I bet he was totally sweet about it as well. He was. He was a total (laughs) sweetheart about it, including, like, trying to figure out why people might be into that type of thing. How fascinating. So it is, like, a sub-dom thing from what I can generally tell. And is it, like... Is this a fetish that mainly women like, or men? It seems to be it... mostly gay men, okay. but there seems to be a section of, of, of course, women who are yeah. into it as well. 
So the general gist of it is, is the jobbers are like these, like if you are a small, weak little jobber getting beat up by a big burly dude, it's, that's like fucking, whoa, 10 out of 10, that's the shit. So like James Ellsworth versus Braun Strowman. Now James probably wouldn't fit into that category because they have a special type that they like, which is kind of like twinkly young boys. Oh, of course, little cute boys like Colin Delaney. Yeah, as as a matter of fact... Brian told me he the way he first found out about it was when his matches got put on a playlist that was like cute twink wrestlers get the shit beat out of them or something like that. Wow. So the whole there's loads of things, certain moves, particularly like a gorilla press slam where you pick them up yeah. and press them over your head. Like almost every fan fiction I came across had that in there as like a big thing. Like oh he gorilla pressed them, like, he picked them up and he was helpless. Pulling them up for a slam and pulling on their tights when you're doing it as well. Give them a little cheeky pull of the tights. That's also very sexy. (laughs) (laughs) And the highlight of this for me has to be what I found onto a forum, which is someone like, yeah, I found out about this when I found an old Arn Anderson match and it had like subtitles over it, which was saying, look at the fucking stud Arn Anderson. Just so you know, Arn Anderson... You are a sex god in a very small subculture. You are worshipped as a sexual being. And I think it's about time we recognise Double A as being <laughs> a sexual being. So, the fan fiction, does mm. it end up with them having sex? No, it's just they get beat up and humiliated. That's it. Sometimes they have sex afterwards in the locker room or in the showers and stuff like that. But it's this whole thing about tough guys taking advantage of innocent young little oh, little guys like not to kink shame but that's a bit weird i'm gonna say it's weird not from a kink shaming standpoint because whatever you're into whatever but like just for me it's like i can't believe that this is like you come across stuff when you're like a wrestling fan and you kind of everyone knows the things surely and this is one which i'm pretty sure most people aren't going to know about that, yeah i would just i never c- occurred to me i mean it makes sense i can understand like of, now you've said it to me like of course it's like the tickling thing yeah like once you hear people jack off over people being tickled it's like yeah that's not really that surprising i guess but wow it's just funny to think like there's all these guys who've been putting on these like you know <laughs> all these carpenters who've been putting on matches and they've been uh, they've been to a different type of gratification I guess maybe that's why the term jobber is such like an offensive slur to wrestlers <laughs> because they don't want to be reminded that no one masturbates to yeah. get out of here <laughs> <laughs> that's so interesting so Joe um, I know just you didn't give any star ratings to any of our matches tonight but could you just for my benefit at least or at least for the subculture's benefit could you tell us which was the sexiest match that we watched mm. gotta be the great Carly versus Condelaney because mm. Condelaney's a cute little twink boy yeah so he fits that kind of niche little thing yeah yeah he's a, he's a cute boy he's all bruised mm. and broken already that's gotta be sexy right <laughs> the, the tights are a little loose on Colin as well I think that's probably like you know yeah that's probably in there as slender well slender frame <laughs> and like big big eyes like naive eyes then of course you've got the great Carly, who's like you know massive, like the biggest guy pretty much ever. If he had chest hair, that would literally be like that would be on so many compilation. Well, tapes, I mean, I'm I sure. don't don't know how much chest hair adds to this. Uh, it seems to me if you're a bear beating up a twink, that seems That's to be perfect. like perfect. Yeah. So you do want a kind of Braun Strowman character there? Oh jeez, I'd bet Braun is really the apple of a lot I of people's bet. eyes. I'll but I mean, with, with the great Carly, you've got that moment where Colin's like in his chest. That's got to be a sexy moment, right? Or the head thing. 
the, yeah. the terrifying head thing that's <laughs> That's sexy. I didn't see that specifically done as a. Se- I know like submission moves are like a sexy, like a sexy thing for where the guys like twisting the ankle or like adding pressure onto it. But I'm just fascinated. Yeah, it's really exciting as well. Now I want to know: is it the story of the the jobber that's kind of like part of the the arousal? Yeah. Like. So like, like I think Colin's story of him like yeah. his mom doesn't know he's wrestling and he's only Ooh, four forbidden. oh you said you were going to McDonald's you didn't say you were going to be beaten up by a stud <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry mom <laughs> so like a compilation video of jobbers being beaten up that wouldn't then be sexy surely because it's not got the full story I think it's kind of like it, it will be to the equivalent of like having a compilation of sexy scenes like you know would it I guess I mean they, that's the I'm just saying is that the tapes that were traded around back in the day and these sites all seem to base off compilations and video packages and playlists yeah. of jobbers being beaten up. I mean, as far as fetishes go, in actuality it's a pretty tame one. Like it sounds yeah. a bit sinister, like oh this big huge guy taking advantage of a tiny broken man. I mean it's, it's what it is is someone it's co-opting something. Yeah. Of, like because it's not like a lot of the fetish stuff, because there is a lot of fetish wrestling stuff out there usually involving women that is like filmed specifically for a fetish audience yeah as in two women will wrestle a certain style of match with certain moments in it that is you know that that's kind of established in its own little world mm-hmm. but this is like different because it's like fucking squash matches from the 80s that have found new life in a sexual subculture i just think that's fascinating i do really need to know now if people have jacked it off to james ellsworth if you have, tweet in <laughs> <laughs> using the hashtag. <laughs> so we've had some highs, we've had some lows, and creamy middles. Probably not the best time to use the phrase creamy oh, middles. God. And other things. Uh, let's get into some of your tweets and Facebook posts about the Rembrandts of the canvas or jobbers. I'm standing here with James Ellsworth and James. No offense, but. What in God's name are you thinking, stepping into the ring with a monster like Braun Strowman? What am I thinking? Having a match on Raw is a dream come true for me. I didn't know it was going to be against Braun Strowman, so yes, I'm nervous. Yes, I'm scared. But if I could somehow, some way, pull off the upset, because I truly believe any man with two hands has a fighting chance, I can only imagine what that may do for my career. Well, hopefully you still have a career after tonight's match, but uh, good luck, man. Wrong Island says, Ty Dillinger was a great example of enhancement talent who still became a fan of fave and got a push to the main roster. I think that's interesting because like, there's loads of guys brought into NXT who've been brought in solely as, mm. you're here pretty much as an enhancement or a job guy just to, to make other people look better. Like Ty Dillinger was in yeah. WWE back in 2008. You know that time, wow. yeah. You know the time, the bit we were watching with Colin and Kali, he would have been there already. Oh my god. But he was boring and he didn't get over and they just cut him. And he was brought back for NXT because it was like, look, we need a guy who can wrestle, but isn't very flashy and mm. isn't particularly, you know, not going to outshine any of our guys. Yeah, because he, pre- he was wrestling obviously when I first started watching mm. and he was pretty, he was good. Handsome man, obviously, yeah. but he wasn't doing anything spectacular. No, no, no. But I remember the turning moment of when he stopped being a jobber and started being like 
a talent in his own right, which was when we saw the NXT live show and he yes. started bringing out those 10 placards. That's how he got over it. It was on the live shows because he couldn't do it on TV. Yeah. And then it got so over at the live shows. They're like, fuck it, do it on TV. And then it became so... I mean, he got, he got himself onto the main roster and whatever about what they're doing with him now... Ty Dillinger was not signed originally with the intent of touring around the world with SmackDown. That was not the idea. Mm. And yeah, you that's the thing about like uh, that position as being a jobber. For so many people, it's simply an opportunity to make the most out of. Yeah. Like I know there was a tag team. I don't know if you remember this because this is going back a little bit. But on NXT once, the Revival took on a jobber tag team. And they were called the Jamokes. And one of them was really loud. He kept going, defense, clap, clap, defense. And he kept, like, trying to rile up the crowd for the jobbers to, to win. And they got killed. Those were actually guys from Chikara and from the Indies called 3.0. Mm. And they were just trying to, fuck, try and get ourselves over. Yeah. Maybe we could get a contract out of it. So, so many guys start off there, and guys and girls start off, like Blue Pants as well. Yeah, on Blue NXT. Pants. She was brought in. Not with the express intent of being someone that would be featured just to make someone look good. And everyone <laughs> liked her blue pants. Yeah. She was brought in as enhancement for Carmella. She That's was a jobber so for Carmella. Yeah. That's so weird, isn't it? I always find that so weird because she's such a better wrestler than Carmella. Because <laughs> when Blue Pants first came out, Big Cass sang her theme song. He went, da, 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 and she just came out like that was the whole story. And she got so over, got, you know, pay per view appearances yeah. out of it. So yeah, you can really make a, a whole lot out of an opportunity as a jobber. <laughs> Pierre-Luc says, wrestlers often start as lower than jobber. Security, police officers, entourage, or rosebuds. And he's included a picture. This is great. It's of lots of wrestlers that we are familiar with now yeah. as big name stars in the background of other characters' terrible gimmicks. <laughs> so we've got fans may remember Adam Rose oh, who gosh. had his partying gimmick back when I first started watching Eww. and in the background you've got Braun Strowman. I think as far as I know in that picture as well if there's a guy with a twirly moustache that's uh, Simon Gotch from the yes. Villains. Yeah, we've there got Simon well. Gotch in here. Yeah. Um, let's see, I can also see Becky Lynch is in there. Wow. Charlotte's in there. I think that's Charlotte. It's hard to tell. You know um, when Triple H, the WrestleMania you and I first watched uh, when we were stuck on a bus in Horncastle that had broken down when uh, we first started going out? Of course. I showed you Triple H versus Daniel Bryan. Mm. You know, he came out as like a big gold god with all these like women and stuff. Yeah, and masks. it's Sasha and Alexa Charlotte Bliss and is Alexa, there. yeah. It's crazy, like, yeah. So cool. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone has to start somewhere. Yeah. Gurkhamon says, we still need jobbers or we're stuck with just trading wins and losses. And some are cool, like the Brooklyn Brawler. Absolutely. Is the Brooklyn Brawler cool? I mean, I've always liked the Brooklyn Brawler. He's like, he's full of fun stories. He's, he got released a couple of like, year or two ago and he's, you know, done the interviews and stuff like that. And the guy's fascinating. Like he's, because he's been there as an employee from the eight, early 80s all wow. the way to like two years ago. He's seen it all. He's seen all the ups and downs. Hogan come and go all those times. Austin coming up and leaving. It's, Cena, it's just crazy to think one person could witness all of that yeah. in that role. You know what, you mentioned there about we can't just have people trading wins and losses. Mm. Someone tweeted this and really, really makes a lot of sense. You know, we had so many injuries in 2016 yeah. and 2015. Fucking hell, you know what, if Big Cass the other week was, instead of fighting Enzo Amore and doing a crazy street fight, maybe if he just beat up a jobber instead, yeah. he wouldn't be out for nine months. Yeah. There's so many times where it's guys who are having matches which, at the end of the day, are ultimately unnecessary. You want to put them on TV and feature them, I get that. 
jobbers. Like, yeah. that's your way to surely cut down on injuries. They really don't do enough with jobbers these days, I don't think. And when they do bring them on, they don't let them have any personality, mm. which again, that doesn't help things. You want to give these jobbers like a bit of character so that when they get beaten, it tells more of a story. People make the point, though, about, like, you know what Ellsworth, it was like, when people started chatting for the jobber. Yeah. And then if you're whole, you've got a series of six weeks now where you've got a new crazy monster who's going to squash jobbers, and every week they're going to cheer for the jobber instead mm. about how weird and silly the jobber looks. I don't know. Does that, in the end, do a disservice, though, because the original role to bring him in for is to get someone over, and maybe you're distracting them then if they look too silly or they have character. I think too much can definitely mm. be the case, but... I mean, in theory, if the other wrestler is is doing the style that they should be doing and it's been booked properly... You know what the perfect example of that is? (laughs) He's on our cover art. The reason he's on our cover art is because when I was showing our illustrator, Dan, all of the different jobbers, just to give him examples, he was, like, fixated on this one guy, which is the gambler. (laughs) The gambler was a jobber in WCW who had cards. And when he first debuted as a jobber back in the late 80s, he would have, like, you know, the old, like, the hat and the nice kind of uh, southern gentleman's jacket and tails. And then towards the end of his time, he was balding because he'd been there for so long and he just had a kind of a shit jacket and a pair of cards. And he'd be like, I'm the gambler! <laughs> and, like, that was, that was it. His gimmick was he was the gambler, he had cards, and he lost and it was just a jobber. No one could feasibly get behind the gambler. So maybe we need some people like that on the roster instead. Talking about the artwork, because, like, obviously this artwork was created before we'd done this episode. Mm-hmm. So I am not familiar with, like, pretty much any of the wrestlers on this. So I, I recognise James Ellsworth. Yeah. I now recognise the Brooklyn Brawler. Yes. And the little poster. But, like, the other guys, there's, and there's no Condelaney here, so who no. are the others? So we got Barry Horowitz patting himself on the back on the right-hand oh, side. Oh, him patting him on the back! <laughs> um, we've got Mikey Whipwreck rocking his best Dragon Wizard t-shirt there in the centre. Oh, that's... Oh, my God, that's a t-shirt. I thought he actually had a head on his lap. <laughs> I thought maybe there was this wrestler somewhere who had a weird gimmick where they carried around, like, this wizard head or something. <laughs> that shit will never get over. Uh, and then SD Jones is reading the newspaper in there as well. Special Delivery Jones, we uh, mentioned. <laughs> at the start so yeah it was it was the original idea for the artwork was a massive pile of bodies yeah. but I kind of wanted we wanted to feature them a little bit more so yeah make sure you give uh, Dan a follow on Twitter at Dirdfurts RoopDog21 says the most recent example of a jobber making the most of his opportunity would have to be James Ellsworth beat the WWE champ do you think that's an example of a jobber making the most of their opportunity or the fans making an opportunity because of the jobber it was a little bit of both I think like Ellsworth, that promo that he cut, any man with two hands, like that, that sealed his face. I mean, the fact that Ellsworth had a very unique look played a huge role in it. But Ellsworth himself, he said that like he was brought in just for that one one show, and then he was walking backstage, and Vince McMahon went right up to him. He's like, "You absolutely killed it. You thought he did such a good job." And I think it's a, you know them realizing that they could do something with him. And, you know, you can hire Ellsworth. He's probably not making a million a year, Ellsworth. He's probably not making a whole ton at all. But I like that they found roles for him. I think that, you know, I think if they have an open mind about that when they bring in job guys, that's where you find, like, the unique characters. You need to have other, you know, as you said, you need to have diversity in wrestling. You have different body shapes, different sizes. And I think Ellsworth was just right place, right time, right shaped head. (laughs) (laughs) 
Cody Reviews says, I think the best jobbers are the ones that don't make it about losing. They just keep on trucking along. Absolutely. Hey, they're not going to win it this time. Maybe they'll win it the next time. You can be Barry Horowitz. He lose a couple hundred in a row. Then you get three big wins and then lose a couple hundred more in a row. Like, you know, <laughs> you got to pick your spots. Hey, still get paid. <laughs> King Impulse says, the kids upset win over Razor Ramon is one of the most star-making singles matches in history. So that's the one we did for Scott Hall's episode, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was funny because I was kicking myself when I realised, oh, we're going to be doing a Jobbers episode and I shown you probably the most iconic jobber match ever which is Razor losing to the one two three kids but I guess it's just showing you like if you have that opportunity as a jobber and the stars align and there's a star who's willing to make you look good as Razor was he was very gracious letting him you know get stuff in and selling it the way he did immediate star making right there because you go from a jobber to the jobber who beat the big star and you've got a gimmick you've got a story you've got a feud and you've got money probably in your future. Absolutely. Alex Quinn says, definitely still have a role. Early NXT showed it's a good way of introducing new talent before they're ready or have a character. But then again, the likes of Braun or Nia or Ryback only improved once they moved on from jobber squashes to proper, inverted commas, opponents. I think there definitely is like an upper limit as to how much you can learn from being with a job Such guy. short matches. Yeah, that's really it. And I mean, I think with Braun, the reason why it worked was Braun had the look, but Braun didn't know how to carry himself and be imposing. And Braun also didn't know where his voice was. Yes. And I think just the short matches where he decimated people and let him carry himself as a monster. Mm. I think that just... He's able to channel that energy into then a promo as opposed to waddling around in a six-man tag with the Wyatts and then talking about snakes afterwards. (laughs) And you can see the nervousness in his eyes. I think that was just kind of playing to his strengths almost in a way. Well, we've had a lot of good chat about jobbers. This has been an absolutely um, enlightening episode for me as well as you, I think, Joe. Yeah. I think it's safe to say this is the first episode of How to Wrestling where everyone, with the exception of Brian Zane probably, has walked away learning something new. (laughs) (laughs) Our next episode is going to be a very interesting one indeed, Joe, because our next episode is going to be live. (laughs) How to Wrestling is going to be live. King's Place Theatre, the 9th of September. Grab your tickets. It's going to be one of the most ridiculous episodes ever when we're going to be looking at silly gimmicks. Use the hashtag HowToSilly to let us know all of your favourite silly, weird and wonderful gimmicks that wrestlers have had over the years. We've obviously talked about jobbers this week, but I'm going to be talking about the likes of Mantor, the Repo Man, the All-Powerful Oz, the Portuguese Man of War. These are all names like the Yete and Roadblock. <laughs> These are all names which mean nothing to you now, Joe. But in a few short weeks in the King's Place Theatre in London on the 9th of September, you will be amazed at the weird, silly, crazy shit that wrestling has turned out over the years. Oh my goodness. I can only imagine. Like, occasionally when we're looking for matches, we'll be flicking through, like, pay-per-views from way back when on the network. And Kevin will show me some of, like, the the random matches that I was like, (laughs) oh, we'll be talking about him at some point when we do silly gimmicks. I am so excited to finally see some of these mad, mad gimmicks that people have. (laughs) It's going to be so much fun. And this is one as well, which, like, if you're coming to see us live, this is the one to bring along someone who maybe doesn't know much about wrestling or someone who's just gotten into it or someone who even has no knowledge of wrestling whatsoever. So this is going to be for everyone. So we can all come in and those of us who know can laugh along with those of us who don't and see the weirdness. And Joe... 
you getting to react to all this stuff. This is going to be condensed joy for me to, for you to see all <laughs> this stuff. This is going to be like the chicken skin on the roast chicken dinner of how <laughs> wrestling. It's literally the best bit of wrestling. <laughs> so if you've got any weird and wonderful gimmicks that you want Joe to find out about in front of our live crowd, do send them in using the hashtag HowToSilly on Twitter, following us at HowToWrestling, or over on Facebook.com forward slash HowToWrestling. And if you've not done so already, head over to either our Facebook page or kingsplace.co.uk to get all the information about our live show. It will be recorded live and released for everyone to enjoy, but we want to see everyone there if possible. It's on a day, Joe, of wrestling podcasts for the London Podcast Festival. So you can see us. There'll be Attitude Era Podcasts doing a live show later on the evening. Jim Smallman from uh, Tuesday Night Jaw, he's going to be there. The guys from New Generation Project, Gorilla Position. It's going to be fantastic. And if you get three tickets, you get 15% off they're all available now. Go and get yourself some tickets and we will see you live in London on the 9th of September where Joe finally gets to find out who that weird wizard Oz actually is. Yay! <laughs> that literally could be the whole episode. How to find out who Oz is. <laughs> finally. We'll bring him out from behind the curtain like. <laughs> Thanks very much for listening to this episode of How To Wrestling. And as always, if you're listening on iTunes, SoundCloud, or on Stitcher, make sure you leave us an old rating or review. Got a friend who wants to get into wrestling? Want to get one of your pals into wrestling or a lapsed fan back into the current product? Send them How To Wrestling. Let them know about what we're doing here. And don't forget, for all your How To Wrestling needs, including episode guides, match lists, and articles from us and our pals, HowToWrestling.com. So get your tweets in for the live show and we'll see you in London on the 9th. It's a <laughs> It's Joe's birthday then as well, so it's gonna be really exciting. I hope all of you come and say hello afterwards. We're gonna yes. hang out, there's gonna be like you want pictures, signing, whatever. We're all gonna be hanging out afterwards. Let's all go have a pint. It'll be grand sure. Uh, it's gonna be a goodbye from me, Kevin. And a goodbye from me, Joe. Make sure you send in those gimmicks. Hashtag how to silly, and we'll see you on the 9th in London and on another episode of How To Wrestling. See ya!